we launched literally the day before was quarantine lockdown. Mm. And, you know, part of our plan was like experiences and like in person, whether it was video or filming, whatever it was. And there were a lot of disasters happening behind the scenes with our site. And all I kept saying was, God, was that you talking to me? Or was that that man named Lucifer? Hi, Offscripters. It's your host, Sewa Ajay Pele, and welcome to episode 91 of the She's Offscript podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we meet actor Tika Sumter and business executive Ty Randolph. Three and a half years ago, while Tika was pregnant with her daughter, Ella, she discovered that there were no online communities that catered to black and brown moms. It was then that she decided to do something about this lack of representation and connected with Ty to bring her idea to life. And that is how Sugarberry was born. We've had some high highs and, and also some lows in terms of reception. And I think what we know for sure is that like we're going to make this work. There's never a moment where we've thought this might not be a viable idea at all. We've learned things through the process. We've modified certain aspects or clarified certain things, but there's never, there's not been a moment of wavering in one, is this a good idea? Two, is this going to be massively successful? However, I often through this process, more than getting frustrated for us, I get frustrated for other black women going through the process because just to be frank, like you've got two people with our credentials. Why the hell are we being questioned like this? I cannot imagine what it's like for two women who aren't similarly profiled. During our conversation, these ladies were so transparent about the challenges and unexpected upsides to launching during a pandemic. They also shared their experience with building a team, seeking funding, work-life balance, and so much more. Before we hear the rest of this episode with Tika and Ty, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes. This will help to spread the word about our podcast so amazing stories like this one can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off-script with the founders of Sugarberry, Tika Sumter, and Ty Randolph. Tika Sumter, Ty Randolph, welcome to She's Off-Script. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. So excited about this conversation. Uh, same here. So for any of our listeners who haven't heard of you ladies or the Sugarberry platform, could you share who you are and what Sugarberry is? Tika, let's have you go first. Sure. My name is Tika Sumter. I'm an actor, producer, and now co-founder of Sugarberry. Um, I've been in everything from the haves and the have-nots to um, Mixed Dish on ABC to Sparkle. I mean, I don't want to run down my... my uh... <laughs> Great humble brag. Yeah, my resume. <laughs> I'm like, I'm such a bad bragger of myself. I'd rather other people talk about me. You have to anyway. just say Google me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so obnoxious. Google me, baby. Um, yeah, no. And I um, produced my first film called Southside with You, where I got to play a young Michelle Obama. And that was my entree into wanting to build my own seat at the table. And this is where I co-founded Sugarberry with Ty Randolph. Um, three and a half years ago, I was pregnant and I was looking for spaces where people looked like me and was able to relate to some of the things I was going through and also just product recommendations and all these things. And I felt like there was just an onslaught of white faces in these places, not to be Dr. Seuss, but yeah, I, you know, there was an onslaught of these online platforms and I just didn't see many of us, or if I did, I had to like 
search. And even then it wasn't really what I was looking for. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't understand why. And I was like, I'm going to create this thing. And then before that, I was like, let me bounce it off of somebody who actually has been in this space and who's very smart and marketing and runs companies and has scaled before. And uh, this is where I had champagne with my friend and (laughs) co-founder Ty Randolph at Soho House to bounce this idea off of her. And um, she can pick up the story from there. But that's that's me. Yep. All good things start with champagne. So um, <laughs> a, a mutual friend of ours, is, as Tika was mentioning, um, introduced us as she was sort of percolating this idea. And my background, so I've spent sort of my career at the intersection of, of content, commerce, and consumers, I always say. So um, have worked for a couple of ad agencies, leading strategy for um, WPP agencies and publicists, two of the you know bigger advertising agency holding companies. Um, I was running um, Sony Music's digital business direct-to-consumer team. So I was head of consumer marketing for them and then um, carved that company out um, to sell to a private equity group. Uh, and now I oh, oh, I went to Facebook in their um, marketed advertising or sort of their marketing solutions team. And now I am... Um, the GM over at uh, Kevin Hart's Laugh Out Loud Network. So I've always fashioned myself as sort of intra-entrepreneur and uh, with sort of deep you know, media and commerce expertise. And uh, our mutual friend said, hey, I've got this friend of mine who is interested in, um, you know, the way that she first described it, she said she was interested in launching like a mom-focused, you know, sort of publishing company. And so when I met with her, it really was to tell her why she should not do it. So I thought... <laughs> Anyone who's launching, you know, an ad supported company when sort of the publishing industry is, you know, really under attack. Let me explain to you sort of what the road looks like. Right. Um, So so that you're prepared. And so I went there, you know, with this healthy dose or, you know, maybe significant dose of, of skepticism. And what was interesting is, you know, sort of like one glass of champagne in and hearing her passion. <laughs> that champagne helped loosen you up, huh? Exactly. Loosen me up. I'm like, let's do it. But you know, she was she was so passionate. And what was interesting was, you know, I went in with like my business hat on and I kept forgetting to think about it critically as a business person, because I was so deeply touched as a consumer when she was describing her journey. Um, and as a new mom, myself, we, we both have toddlers. She had her, her daughter a year before I had my son, Niall. Um, my experience was the same. We often talk about having to mine other people's spaces, um, you know, for information that was, was relevant to us. And so, you know, here we were, you know, sort of like career focus, upwardly mobile black women with very different backgrounds, but still finding the same that there was no um, places carved out to to cater to to modern moms of color. And then after just, you know, connecting with her on like a personal level and having this idea resonate with me personally, I went home and started researching and was like, hey, you really have something on your hands because what I then realized is, okay, so, you know, black folks are controlling $1.2 trillion or wielding $1.2 trillion in purchasing power. Um, the black mom is the, you know, gatekeeper for that spend. And there was literally no company that existed in service of her. And so I thought not only, um, you know, were my spidey senses telling me as a consumer, I'm identifying with this and, and, and that's what we're hoping that all of our audience feels, but that this was just a really, really good business idea. And, and that was the beginning of Sugarberry. Oh, 
I love that. And I love to hear people's Genesis stories. So Tika, most of us probably do recognize you from the roles you played on television and on the big screen. Seeing where you are now, I wonder, how do you think your upbringing positioned you to take the leap into an acting career and now into entrepreneurship? I think it's kind of always been something I've been sitting on. I mean, my dad opened, bless his soul, I feel like I'm his... um, you know, his dream realized, to be honest, because he opened like this little fish shop, you know, in Brooklyn where him and my mom got married and he opened this little fish shop and unfortunately it didn't work out, but his heart and soul was in it. And I think he always had this spirit inside. He just didn't have the tools or somebody to really direct him to be successful in that way. And so these kinds of things, even when I didn't have the tools of my own, I always wrote down and like, whether it was producing or whether it was, I had a million ideas. I just didn't understand how to completely execute them. Mm -hmm. And so I knew eventually I would get to a place and now I am. So I feel like my upbringing of like between my mom who like literally never gave up on us and herself and was consistent and persistent, um, I feel like I got some of that. And then I also got some of my dad who, you know, was always trying to do more for us. Um, and and I, I'm now here and, and he's he's in my spirit and my flesh. So oh, that's me. That. Turning to you, Ty, looking at your career path so far, you've worked for some corporate heavy hitters. How would you say mm-hmm. your transition to working with Kevin Hart's Laugh Out Loud Network prepared you for or or maybe even opened you up to the idea of entrepreneurship? Um, well, that, that's a good question. It's one I've never got before. Um, and, and I, it's interesting because I remember being at, um, well, there were a couple of moments. I think that I've always had, um, this desire to be able to design, right. Whether it would be systems or business models or opportunities. And so, you know, it's interesting. There are all sorts of entrepreneurial opportunities that exist within companies too. And so I think a lot of times folks say, if you want to start something, you think you have to sort of, you know, put a a flag in the sand and do it on your own. And while that has been an incredibly, um, you know, um, gratifying experience with what I'm doing with Tika. I think, you know, I got my training wheels doing that inside of other companies. And I remember Mm -hmm. having one of my, um, uh, my boss, who's a mentor and and now a good friend of mine asked me when I was at uh, VML YNR, the the agency, and they said, well, you need to decide if you're going to be an inside guy or an outside guy. And, and what he was referring to was like, you know, do you see yourself more at that juncture? We were talking about career paths and he said, you see yourself more COO or CMO, right? Like, are you the person who's, you know, the front and face and sort of evangelizing the company? Are you making the trains run on time and making this all make sense and, and, and money? And my response was both. Well, at first I didn't respond. Like I was kind of challenged by having to choose and balance right and, and, and left brain, you know, in that way, like that you had to pick a path. Mm -hmm. And I think think most of my career has been about either changing lanes between the two to ultimately trying to find a path where I could seamlessly, you know, fuse the two, which is what's been really great about Sugarberry. And in many ways, all of so many of my entrepreneurial experiences began from entrepreneurship at Sony at the, with their digital business group. My boss there had been a serial entrepreneur before coming in house. And a part of what caused me to take the role is because he said, Hey, eventually I want to do a management buyout and carve out this business unit. So, you know, my first M&A experience was carving out a company instead of setting one up, you know, mm-hmm. um, same with, 
uh, LOL was actually founded as a joint venture between Kevin Hart and Lionsgate. So when I went in, it was actually very corporate for me. I worked in Lionsgate, you know, in their Santa Monica office. We were completely operationalized out of Lionsgate. And then later we would carve out the company. He would take majority ownership. And then now we're working in this very entrepreneurial setting in his headquarters. And so I think all of that really prepared me for what would be Sugarberry and and being ready to take the leap and having learned from observation, you know, what the ingredients are to being ready for entrepreneurship. And a part of that is just finding a partner, right. And a team that you can really trust and rely on. And so, you know, when I, when I met Tika, it wasn't just about, we vibed personally, but she just had such great business acumen and then also so much commitment to the idea um, that it just checked all the boxes. Okay. You've just said so many things that are jumping off points for more questions. My, my brain just starts spinning. First, I'm a very strong believer in speaking into existence, the things you want to see happen. That being said, just seeing you together makes me wonder what kind of things were you saying to the people in your network that made mm-hmm. them think you two should meet and would ultimately have a good partnership? I don't, I don't know if they knew that we would have a good partnership. I think she was just like, look, this is the, this is the black girl I know who will tell you the truth and has the experience, you know? Um, (laughs) yeah, I don't think she knew. I think it's one of those things where friends put each other together Mm -hmm. and they're like, you guys figure it out from there, um, hands off. And so, and me, I, I was really going in there to try to, I was honestly sussing, like not, I was trying to go through my head, like, I was, while I was telling her this thing, almost like pitching it to her Mm -hmm. of what I was also putting it together in my head as Mm -hmm. well. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this is what I want to do, you know, really configuring like what I wanted to do literally. And I'm really good off like. I'm really good at like pitching it just off, like not off writing something down, yeah. just off the cuff of like, and it, I literally pitch my passion. Like that's all I do. And, and so that's kind of what happened. And then from there we just liked each other. And then we connected on so many other levels of just, you know, with our kids and our experiences and, and our feelings, whether it was like loneliness or whether it was like being, like I, I confess to her like times I'm afraid of my child, you know, like, like being too. alone. You know? And I'm like it's everyone at some point. <laughs> yeah, but it's like when do we get the space to actually say that without being judged about it, right? Mm-hmm. And especially I feel like we're doubly judged a lot mm-hmm. of the time. A lot of times we're not only women, we're black women. And so we're not able to sometimes say the free thinking things that we want to say, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like my kid is a terrorist, mm-hmm. you know, and find it everybody's like, oh, that's funny. Well, actually I'm gonna call child service. You know, so it's like, so it was just nice and freeing to talk um, to somebody who had a lot of the very similar experiences. Well, and just in one of the, just to say one thing to what you asked, because you said, you know, what were we putting in the universe to make someone connect us? I don't remember what I was saying, but it's interesting in terms of how you show up, right? And what, you know, people are, what vibes they're getting. But one of the things that I, realize, and I remember hearing Issa Rae say this in an interview, that 
we have to, she said that we should focus or she was advising young people to focus more on um, like lateral networking, right? Like to focus more about your peer groups and not just above and beyond. Because so many mm-hmm. times I think when we think about entrepreneurship, it's like, oh, let me get in touch with this high powered VC, this mm-hmm. person often who doesn't look like me, right? Like you think you need a gatekeeper who's generally a white man, right? <laughs> or a man yes. to be able to, and by the way, you often will because you know that's who's controlling so much um you know investment capital however it's interesting that a black woman who we both worked alongside in different capacities and who was a friend of ours connected you know us together and that this would be how this came to life so it was just interesting how many resources exist within our own network we didn't need someone who didn't look like us to be able to bring this Oh, I love the advice to look around you and network laterally instead of always trying to reach above you. I've actually heard that before, but not quite in that way. So thank you for that. Now, as I said, I love hearing, at least on your podcast, how well you two balance each other out. I I love that, Tika, you're so bubbly (laughs) and there are times when you call Ty and she's like, "Uh, why are you calling me? (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, you need a little bit of that. You need a little bit of that energy from both sides of the spectrum. But from a partnership perspective, how are you navigating the roles you're each going to play within the business? Or did you just naturally fall into them? Mm. You know, we literally naturally fell in. We're so, it's so funny because <laughs> I laugh because Ty and I couldn't be more different, but also very similar in how we grew up. Our moms are definitely very similar. Um, and it's funny because I'm like more create. I'm the well, Ty is creative as well. But for me, I'm like always thinking of the idea of like how we implement, you know, whether it's a show or I have an idea about a product or, mm-hmm. you know, that way or the look of the site, like the aesthetics and, and how I want to feel and how I want people to feel. Um, and, and Ty can tell talk for herself, but more like strategic, you know, money, like all the things we need to actually um, have a business <laughs> so, as well. And I always tell people like, you know, set yourself up with a person who is not like, doesn't, doesn't have your mind. You know what I mean? Like who's very, who's kind of different from you. Like I'm a, you know, I'm yang and she's my yang, you know? And because you need a thinker who's not thinking about the things you are. Right. And, and, and to, to, um, you know, Yeah. So I think, I think we're both, um, very different, but very similar in the fact that we have the same passion for black and brown moms. Um, and we have the same passion for our company and that we're both very focused and, but we bring two different things to the table and I, I love it like that. Yeah. And I do call Ty and I'm like, Hey girl, come on FaceTime. She's like, girl, I could talk to you just right on the phone. I'm like, no, I want to see your face, you know? But don't let her bubbliness fool you though. I mean, there are other times where, and it's, it's interesting because you almost, when you are in sync and you have the same vision, there are times when sometimes you end up playing opposite roles or just tag teaming when someone can't get it done or it. So it's just funny, the nonverbal communication we have, we were on with a particular investor and uh and we were talking about an idea and you know here I am trying to you know sort of be very buttoned up oh. in the explanation
nomination. And, and so they said, I think, what was the question? She said, well, what could I the do que- for you? She said, what? No, this happened twice. They both asked the same question. Well, what, we're on the phone with investors, right? Well, what can I do with you for you? What can I do for you? I said, give us money. Literally just like that. Quick blank. I mean, why else am I here? What are we doing? What are we doing if we're not writing checks? That's how I feel. We're not here. So would that usually be more of a tie response? Well, actually, no. no. So it's funny. We have different ways in. So normally <laughs> I'm a little bit more, while direct, like just very like, well, you know, a little bit more explanatory. She's like, yeah, cut. Just write the check. <laughs> write the check. And, and, and then I'm like, like what well, she said. <laughs> yeah. You either want to or you don't. What are we doing here? Yeah, no, exactly. Like I slice through and sometimes I try not to because I don't want to seem unprofessional because Ty is all like, let me tell you something. Ty is one of the smartest women I have ever been around. And Likewise, whatever. Oh, well, when she speaks and when she's in these VC, like VC meetings are definitely an art and Ty knows what the hell she's talking about. Okay, period, point blank. And I never want to come off as like, uh, excuse me. (laughs) So we're not them. We're not this company you're comparing us to. Right. But now I'm just like, well, what are we doing? Like, if we're not talking about the thing, you know, Mm -hmm. like we can, we explained everything. We explained every, all your fears away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now what? Well, and, and that's a boldness, right? Some of that, I mean, so much of, because, you know, you, your podcast is all about taking the leap, right? Like I have to say that partnering with Tika over the last year has really emboldened me in a way that I don't think, because what you do get used to, and, I, and I'm sure coming from a consulting background, you are probably accustomed to having to package yourself, right? Like most black women are, you're always trying Mm to triple explain to, you know, objection handle before the objection comes up. You're always trying to overqualify yourself, right? Not just qualify, but overqualify yourself. And I don't know if it's just the skin that you develop with acting and auditioning and, and producing, but there's something about Tika that, and it's, it's fine to have a partner who you say, I admire this and want to emulate this about you where she's, just take it or leave it. This is happening. You can't convince me this isn't. And that's Mm -hmm. quite frankly, just like a prerequisite to, to building a business, especially in this sort of economy. And, you know, I really, you know, tried to borrow and glean that from her. It's been a real booster of confidence and a reminder of capability to be partnered with someone like her. I know, right? I love it. I love your love fest. And that's how you know that you guys can weather the storms because at least on a human level, you're compatible. Yes. But speaking of the economy and the times we're in, the word pivot is one we're hearing a lot these days. And after working on Sugarberry for a year or so, I know you guys had planned to launch right before California went on lockdown the first time. Girl. (laughs) So what was your initial launch plan and how did you have to pivot it so you would still have a successful launch? Let me tell you something. This is going to be part of the book, the story. (laughs) She's off script to how I built this. Like all of it. Um, Because we launched literally the day, the, I think, the day before was a uh, quarantine lockdown. Mm-hmm. Like no, no, you're not allowed. Not everything's closed. And, you know, part of our plan was like experiences and like in person, you know, whether it was video or, or filming, whatever it was, it was mm-hmm. like, no. And there were a lot of disasters happening behind the scenes with our site. <laughs> and it was just like, all I kept saying was, God, was that you talking to me? <laughs> or was that, was that that man? Was that that man? 
actually like sweating because not only that, it's like my own, you know, ego, whatever. I'm also like, I'm an actor and we made an announcement in a real trade <laughs> that my, uh, that we're launching this company. Mm -hmm. And so we both, and even, even Ty, like Ty is in the business, you know what I'm saying? So not only that, we wanted to, it, it was just a lot of situations that we had to overcome, including like, Oh my God, are people going to want to come on the sugar? Our podcast, right. we, didn't have, we just started that, like really just started it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it was just a lot of things that we had to overcome, but it's crazy forcing everybody inside also forced eyes to be on us yes. and forced, mm. um, and it also granted us a lot of access to guests. Yeah. Um, and it also made us really be so super focused on who we are yeah. as a company and get it together. Yeah. Um, that we've had so many incomings now, yeah. you know, um, whether it's VCs interested in hearing about us, whether it's bringing on um, strategic partnerships, it's just been, it, I, I, it's God, yeah. nothing but God and our, our like hold on to the horse and keep riding <laughs> mentality. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard similar things from people who realized they were focused on all the frills rather than what was important. And this lockdown just took all of that away yeah. to the point where they had to really focus on what was important, yeah. whether it was family or what to knock off their business so they could focus on the core of their businesses as well. 100%. I mean, I think I was, I was so sick when we launched. I, that, I recently got tested for antibodies. I didn't have them. I actually thought it was COVID. I mean, I could not breathe so much so that our site with the day that our site was going up at about five o'clock in the morning, I want to say I texted Tika and our GM Blair and said, guys, I got to tap out. I can't, I don't know what's going to happen, but I can't do this. Um, I couldn't breathe. I was on a nebulizer. And so it just felt like to Tika's point, we were swimming upstream at that moment. And then, you know, but what was crazy was then seeing all the press that came out shortly afterwards, really sort of celebrating what we had done, the number of inbounds that we got from, you know, women in the industry saying, Hey, I would love to be a part. I want to be a part of this conversation on the sugar. I wanted to come to the podcast and probably one of the most gratifying pieces is just hearing the feedback from the community, whether it's on social or reviews for the podcast, hearing women saying, this got me through. I feel like I know you. I'm stuck in the house with my kids and this is, no one's spoken to me in this way. And our favorite review ever is a woman who said, she feels like when listening to the sugar, she was wrapped in velvet. And that was just the level of care and sugar. The that was the sugar. <laughs> that was the sweetness. And so I think that's been hugely motivating because, you know, when you're trying to validate a business in the market and you're trying to prove market fit and penetration and you have to check all these boxes like, oh, you know, we need brand partners and we need, you know, external funding and we need it's just to focus on audience development to have the consumer who you exist to serve say you're getting this right is like all the fuel we need to keep it going. I love that. And I'm glad it ultimately worked out well for you. But I have to say that as a woman who's in your target audience, I love how relatable your content is, just like the lady who left that review. But being a content creator myself, I can appreciate how big of an undertaking it is to launch a media platform. So how did you go about pulling together a team to manage the podcast, the website, social media, and all of the things that come with this? 
Um, so it's interesting, Antigua can chime in, but we, one, again, about that lateral networking, I think most of the people who have we've brought on have worked with us in some capacity or have become through a through a referral of some kind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we really leveraged our community. And it's, it's especially, what's unique about this, you would think, oh, it's, it's very easy to get someone to work on something that's a celebrity-driven venture. Having worked on another one, though, I actually think it's the opposite. I'm very cautious of who I bring into the fold. Tika's all like, oh, I'll talk to them. I'm like, Tika, no, you're not going to get on this call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but, you know, because they're just folks who are differently motivated. And it's just so mm-hmm. I'm always so so I'm we're, we're very careful. But we have thankfully just curated the most amazing team who have um, who's who have great intentions and who are just so dedicated to seeing this thing evolve. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I'll say is that it a part of what COVID has done is really forced everyone to think differently about how you collaborate and where you have to be to build something. We've got team members in Australia and Miami and New York, you know, many, you know, folks in LA. And then the other pieces, we really tapped all of our, our network. I will say when you are thinking about launching a venture of any kind, you really need to be prepared to tap every single resource that you have at your disposal. And whether it's mm-hmm. been Tika's talent agency or, you know, resources who I've worked with by LOL, strategic partnerships, brands who I've done deals with, we try to bring all of them to the table in support of this. You build up a reputation in one side, you know, on, on one thing. And then you say, Hey, trust me for this endeavor. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then strategic partnerships is important. I will say to anyone building anything, I'm very focused on, you know, there's always this build versus buy kind of decision. Mm -hmm. Do we have to build Mm -hmm. it from scratch? Can we buy it or license it or leverage a partnership? And we've tried to be smart about leveraging partnership. A part of how the sugar has scaled has been via our partnership with, um, you know, Stitcher and Midroll, who was just recently acquired by SiriusXM. Um, you know, they do a lot of the heavy lifting behind the scenes to make that happen. So anytime you can leverage someone who has an expertise and partner to scale, I would recommend doing so. So how did the partnership with Stitcher come about? You know, I definitely see the wisdom in partnering with them versus going independent. But what benefits would you say have come out of that partnership? Right. So it started with, you know, I'm grateful that I, I'm with um, WME. Uh, when Ty and I came together, we were like, we, we kind of had this idea. Mm-hmm. And then I just pitched it to who is our producer, Tiffany Spring. Um, she was brought to us through WME. They thought, oh, this is a really cool idea. Mm-hmm. And Tiffany, in a matter of the first three minutes of saying what it was about, she's like, I'm in, like, I want to do this. And, um, and I want to help you guys build it. And so that was that, you know, it was like another black woman who was like, I see it. I got it. Mm-hmm. You ain't, you ain't got to explain <laughs> who you talking to. You know what I mean? And it was so, it was such a relief because it was like, like I don't have to explain my existence and why Mm -hmm. this is necessary, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's how it happened. And, and through that, you know, obviously we've gotten to work with different, um, advertisers who wanted to advertise on our our platform and, you know, that's, that's, that's how it began. Mm. And they've helped us scale. I mean, when you say the difference between doing it independent, um, one of the things that we were both, both, both focused on, because we were both listening to a lot of podcasts at the time, is like, we're like, the ones that we like have structure and focus and aren't just rants. And so we were very big on having a POV and it being sort of, you know, 
setting consistent expectations for the the listener, which is what I, we love about your podcast too. I mean, it's just so well Thank done, you. but you know, trying to build a company, both having other full-time jobs, it, it's difficult to go through all the logistics of so the idea of having someone to seamlessly produce things, to handle the ad sales, to give you a complete run of show when you're walking, you can have a meeting with and share a bunch of creative ideas and they turn that into, you know, to, they execute that, you know, I think is, is really important. And I think for those who are doing it independently, my advice would be listen to some of the ones that are done, you know, professionally and structure it after that, because half the battle is just, you know, the, the structuring. So, yeah. Ty, one of your biggest hesitations when Tika initially shared her idea with you was that the market for ad supported media businesses was oversaturated. Although I know your personal connection started to warm you up to the idea. So first, why was that a concern for you going into this new business? And what about the research you did changed your mind enough for you to move forward? You know, what was that turning point? Sure. So, I mean, I think what was when you, so I, so I've been on both sides, right? So I've been on the side at an agency where I'm responsible for buying ads. I've been in a place where I'm selling advertisements for one of the largest advertising platforms in the country, right? So from an ad and agency, I'm helping companies like Colgate Palmolive and Revlon and, you know, Toys R Us buy ads to advertise their products from it, you know, um, Facebook, I was working with huge agencies and figuring out with their CMOs or their chief media officers, what their clients investments look like in platforms like this. And then, you know, at LOL, we work very heavily with brand partners to to subsidize and support and sponsor our content. And it's just in any of those situations, even when you're at some a company's biggest Facebook and especially now for them, or, you know, with, with talent like Kevin, I understand that like it is very, advertisers have lots of choices and to be able to offer them, you know, choice at scale and to be able to do that repetitively to, to maintain, maintain a business is difficult. And then when you look at a lot of the media first organizations, right, the traditional publishers, one of the things you constantly hear is that they're trying to pivot away from just advertising, right? Mm -hmm. So they're trying to diversify their monetization. And what I loved is that I heard it one way when I thought about it, but when I went to Tika, she wasn't talking about a publisher, right? What I said was, cause I went in thinking, oh, you want a glorified blog. I came out being like, oh, you're building the black girl's goop. Like, <laughs> Mm-hmm. meets honest code. That's what this is about. And that to me felt very different when we talk about content driven commerce. And when we talk about super serving an audience and really surrounding that consumer um, with the tools, the practical tools and using, you know, editorial and service of commerce and making that very actionable, that was different. That's when then you start to, to uh, benchmark the business models differently. The benchmark is Goop, the benchmark is Glossier. But what mm-hmm. you will notice is that I didn't mention any any companies that were catering to black women in that way, because there no, there were none that were following that, that model mm-hmm. further validated by the fact that she didn't just say black women in general. She talked about black women at this life state where they were most affluential, right. And where they wielded the most cons- spending power and were motivated to spend the most, you mm-hmm. know? And so then to do further research and realize that we were only growing in influence. We are the fastest growing segment of entrepreneurs in this country. One of the fastest growing segments of advanced degree um, holders. And then mm-hmm. the catch for me was when, um, you know, there was a, there's there's a, a report that Nielsen did that really blew me away, which talked about black women's purchasing power, particularly in, in women of color. And when I found out that women of color accommodate for 40 percent of all um, 
baby food purchases that black women outpunch their demo composition for purchasing um, lotions and and um, uh, hair care products. So we're over indexing to such degree. And then we look at case studies like a red table talk or an essence fest where mm-hmm. along that that entire business model, we have had such wide general market influence that then we I said, it is just crazy that no one's filling this space. And if we don't, someone will. Mm-hmm. And and so then I felt very differently because everything that I say to you just now is what we say to advertisers. Who else is providing that level of access? And that makes me feel much stronger about the idea. And not only that, but we're not just focused on advertising. We have a very diversified business model. Keeping all of that in mind, when it came time to pitch VCs for funding, how did you position your pitch and how did they respond to that? Tika, do you want to start or should I? (laughs) Well, so here's what I'll tell you, like (laughs) what I know now. And then also what I what it's so weird because I've never been in a VC pitch before. And it was the first, the very first one was like, I was an exotic animal and they've never seen me before in my life. (laughs) Oh no. Like we were all, it was just like, couldn't get past that. Like three black women were sitting in there talking to them about a business. Right. Yes. Um, Still very much so. And having to really, um, over explain why there is a market. Right. Um, and you know, we, we, I think all the things that, you know, Ty has said already, like we've, you know, we have a business plan and we not a business, but we have, um, different forms of monetization and how we're going to execute that and how we're going to accelerate the process. Right. But what I think I've learned, you explain all these things and what I've learned is I'm not going to give you all my information anymore. So you can take that as Intel to help one of your other businesses, Mm -hmm. because that's what I'm learning is happening. And it's crazy because while, you know, while I'm, I'm so happy that, you know, people are now paying attention to black mothers in some aspect and, and, and writing articles about them. And I I feel like the more the merrier, but there is something that happened. And, um, where I felt like when we launched, um, there was, there was more of it, which is great. Um, but there are also things you start seeing, Mm -hmm. um, that you're like, Hmm, they didn't, they, they, they all of a sudden pivoted on this thing. And, and we had, what did you start seeing? (laughs) Just some of the same stuff we talked about coming out, you know, on things that they have invested in. And And, and we'll be, I mean, so it's, it's really interesting because I I will say it's not for the faint of heart. I often say to Tika, I, what pains me about this and, and, and we've had, some some high highs and, and also some lows, right? In terms of reception. And I think what we know for sure is that like, we're going to make this work. There's never a moment where we've thought this might not be a viable idea, right? At all. We've learned things through the process, right? We've modified certain aspects or clarified certain things, but there's never, there's not been a moment of wavering. And is this going to, one, is this a good idea? Or two, is this going to be massively successful? So that conviction you have to have. However, I often through this process, 
more than getting frustrated for us, I get, I grieve for other, I get frustrated for yes. other black women going through the process because just to be frank, like you've got two people with our credentials. Why the hell are we being questioned like this? I cannot mm. imagine what it's like for, you know, two women who aren't similarly profiled. I mean, you've got one of us who's on primetime network television who we're constantly saying, who they're constantly like, well, is this an audience? Well, can you reach them? Like, so even with a built in, you know, Millions of social followers across social with commercial success in the box office and in broadcast television, we're still having to even justify a reason for being at the table. When I look at my resume, it's still questions that I'm sure that my white male counterparts wouldn't get. And we literally, not figuratively, are going to write a book about this experience and are looking into, in real time, creating a video franchise around the the actual founding of this company. And the reason why is because everyone wants to talk about after the fact, but we want to make sure as it's happening, before we can package it up and sanitize it, that we capture the emotion and sometimes the <laughs> hilarity of what's going on. The, the description that she brought, we walked into a VC's office. First of all, we were the only black people there the only people of color in the entire office. And I think we might have been some of the only ones they'd seen in person because Ever. the spectacle was <laughs> oh, so no. bizarre. We walked out and I thought it was just me. Even the, the pitch was so bizarre. He was a really intense. He stared really intently. I think someone must have told him that that was a good way to connect with people. But anyway, we walked out and we were both like, what was that? It was so bizarre. Why do we feel like this? Like, what is happening? You already know before, during, after this is not going well. It, it's just not. We've um, also had folks come to us to, again, about the whole celebrity component who would take meetings only to ask her to do something for their brand or their company after the fact. Mm -hmm. We've also had that happen with strategic partners. And so... You know, when you in, you mentioned that you had a, um, a another guest on who found sort of this white male sponsor. We recently mm -hmm. invited someone onto our advisory board who found it like a you know su a successful media company at Cut.com, Mike Gaston, and we've been working with him. And what is really interesting is um, going through with him, having built a company that wasn't as diverse in revenue, but I think as ambitious in terms of, of, of what they were trying to do. In many ways, as much as he's been you know a great facilitator, and there's a whole conversation about what you should look for an advisory board member or a board member. Um, but he's actually been super helpful in this process. And what is so bizarre to me is the receptivity from connections that he makes, even though you would argue that commercially, right? Like either of us have been just as, if not more successful, but there's something about that endorsement, right? Mm -hmm. That is still hugely enabling. And, you know, it deflates me to hear anecdotes like yeah. that. Just taking a little bit of a caveat, I recently saw a story online from a black woman married to a white man who was trying to sell their home. And when the appraiser came, of course, they had pictures of their black relatives up and black things around the house. And the house ended up receiving a really low appraisal. So she was like, okay, I got you. She cleared the house of all the quote unquote blackness and had her husband meet a new appraiser and the house appraised for something like 162K more. Wow. So taking it back to your story, just to hear anecdotes like that, where whiteness appears to be a gating factor, despite all of your credentials is just really disheartening. Well, the, the one other thing I'll say about that, that to me is really important is, mm -hmm. so we talked about the model, right? The model, it's not that it's never been done before. We think it's very unique 
the way that we're doing it. The the blue ocean for us is the audience, right? Not the business model. That's the, mm-hmm. the who we're serving is someone who no one else is tapping. But it's odd because so we'll go through this in depth. We've we've had in depth conversations about our content commerce, you know, sort of like model. And then invariably we've had many partners, investors, et cetera, rebuttal with a comparison to a black company or black companies that have nothing to do, like a, a company with a black who has nothing to do with our business model. And I don't even know how to respond sometimes. Like, why did you pick that as a comparison? And mm-hmm. it's because to your point, there is this sort of bucket or box that you put all things black or all things people of yep. color. So let me check the multicultural box. And there's a lens, regardless of business model or opportunity that you look through that with. And I think really the only way to up in that isn't about changing minds, it's about having representation on the other side, right? Like we're really passionate about that because even the podcast scenario is an example, having a woman who identified, who understood the power of this audience, who understood how to market it, how to program it immediately within three minutes that I get it. Like, Mm -hmm. I want this. I want you guys to go no place else versus having to first qualify just the dynamics of who we are first with so many others. So I'm really interested in seeing more representation happen on on the finance side so that we're not talking to folks who can't identify with us. Mm, Absolutely agree. It's going to take more of us stepping up as entrepreneurs, which is why I have the show and more of us on the other side of the table as well. So we can inform our peers on both sides. You know, I believe I'd heard you ladies have decided to bootstrap the Sugarberry platform. Is that still the case? And if so, how will that impact your plans for growth? Oh, we're going to get an investor. That's going to impact our plans for growth and we're going to do brand <laughs> partnerships. I mean, gratefully, you know, we both are in a position where, you know, we're able to put money into the company. And I feel like, listen, if I could put money and buy bags and all that stuff into other people's businesses, I am way more important. And so are our kids. So mm-hmm. I'm going to invest in our, I'd rather put the money within us, but I can say it very matter-of-factly, we're going to get an investor and we're going to get uh, strategic brand partnerships that will help us accelerate and, and we're going to get it soon. And the reason why, by the way, we made the decision, right, to fund the businesses, we were out pitching earlier on. And even the when two things were happening, right? Either it's like, oh, there's not a market opportunity here or, okay, we will support you, but we want to reshape this idea. And what we realized is, you know, I remember one day we we left a meeting and we were like, they just don't get it. So let's show mm-hmm. them, let's build proof of concept. And I will tell you, and Tika can attest, it's been a 180 in what those conversations yeah. have been like. The minute that you they've seen Sugarberry, that they have been able to um, listen to the sugar, when you see, the response from the press, it's really changed the dynamics. It's changed the leverage. And so I think versus, you know, when you're in pre-seed and you're just trying to say like, Hey, let me share the vision in my head or let me make it real from you off of a deck. It's very different when you're looking at the beginnings of this company in real life. So I think it's given us one more leverage, but also I think it's given folks a more tactile point of reference to what this is. So how much of your own money have you had to invest to get to the point where people quote unquote take you seriously. And you know, I have to tell you, the reason I ask is that people may see your celebrity and perhaps the deeper pockets that come with that status and think what you've accomplished so far with Sugarberry is not possible for them. So 
I'll ask again, what did it take financially to get where you are today? Got it. So um, I'll say I never talk specific dollar amounts just because at the earliest stages she's of like, the company, up, I know like I never say, but, but here's what, here's what I will say about that though. I will say that it is, you do have to evaluate what your risk profile is. And that's why there are two things. We invested our own money, but we did not do this without some commercialization. So a big part of when we decided to move forward was we did the deal with Stitcher for the, the sugar. And so we know like we already have commercial traction. So I'm already proving proof of concept there. And so that was really important. And when I, when I tell you, you know, like what we've spent the money on, a lot of things that are, you know, when we do think certain ways too, because of the profile of the person who's at the helm, which I mean, even when it comes to sort of like how we've invested in legal versus someone who, if you're starting up a new business, like legal zoom probably would have been, you know, sufficient for lots of these things, um, in terms of how we built a platform to be scalable when someone else might've done it on Squarespace, you know? So I think I wouldn't let that number be the barrier to entry. I think I would focus more on the concept of an MVP, right? What's the minimally viable product that you need to bring to market to show proof of concept and to show market market fit and penetration. We knew that folks were having a hard time understanding that this could be a multidimensional, um, you know, sort of, um, content driven commerce platform. Right. Mm -hmm. So we first needed to one showcase how this was different brand wise, because everyone compared us to brands where that we were not aligning ourselves with. Right. So we needed to show the beautiful elevated way in which we want to show up in the world. We needed to have a point of reference so we could get early commercial partners on from a distribution perspective, from a brand perspective, and then go back and say, okay, this is what you're investing in. And so that's what MVP looks like for us. It could be very different for someone else, you know. Mm, Tika, did you want to add anything to that? Like the actual number? No. <laughs> See, I got a smart friend. <laughs> I was like, mm, that, that part right there. <laughs> I have to try. I have to try. I know, I know, I know. You're doing your job. You're doing your job. <laughs> you know, I will say when I first heard of Sugarberry, I was most excited about all the possibilities for your original video programming. So what can we expect the rollout of video on your platform to look like and how will it be delivered to your audience? Especially since Ty, you shared today that you would like to document your Sugarberry journey on video. I immediately thought of the podcast Startup where Alex Bloomberg documents the launch of Gimlet Media. You know, I thought that was very interesting and it caught on like wildfire. So how are you guys planning on rolling out that video component? Yeah. So right now we're in talks with a few um, production companies that we're going to have some long form content, whether it's on, um, you know, like a Netflix or whatever that looks like, mm -hmm. or, um, and then there's going to be stuff like on a Facebook watch kind of thing. Um, so we are, we have a ton and then some of it's just going to live digitally on YouTube and like across those kind of, uh, platforms. But you know, what I will say is I won't give you any like what exactly we're doing because mm -hmm. we know how that goes. Um, <laughs> we know how that goes. All of a sudden it pops up tomorrow. And we're like, ha, ha, what? Um, and so, um, but what I will say is, you know, I, what I love about us is not only our passion, but our vision and the mm -hmm. ideas, like what I want to tell your listeners is the ideas. Nobody can ever take that away from you. Even if tomorrow somebody comes up with, um, 
a business that you wanted to launch, like literally nobody has your thoughts of like exactly how you're going to do something. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm never worried when I see things and I'm like, Oh, that looks like it was from our site. But, um, but like, you know, no shade, but I'm like, Oh, that, that's a, that's a great, you know, that's, that's great. You know, somebody likes our stuff. And so, but what I will say is I'm so excited because I even give ideas away sometimes to other people who come on our podcast. Every I'm week like, on the sugars, you walk away with the yeah, business like, idea. The after show is Tika saying, here's yeah. what you should launch. Literally, and the ideas are so good. I'm like, Tika, we could have done it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, no, I'm like, oh my God, I have so many ideas and that we're going to actually do. So what I'm excited about it is going to envelop and, and the center it's going to be centered around black and brown moms. And it's going to be always a resource mm. of doing it's going to mm. be activating and not just like, Oh, these are things you could um, think about or just sit with, you know, it's like, how do you live your best life? Right. Mm. And here's mm. the way to do that. And it's going to be different, um, different types of shows, but like, it's always back to that, like, be well, do well, um, eat good, see the world. Know, yeah. The it's world. a call to action to live the sweet life. Every single exactly. touch point. Every like single it. touch point. Well, I'm looking forward to it because as I said, that's one of the things that caught my eye when I saw those early articles about Sugarberry. Tika, I know HBO Max recently picked up a show you worked on with Kei Oyagun and Mixedish got picked up for a second season. How are you balancing your acting career, family during this pandemic, and running this new business? Yeah. And I want to hear the same from you, Ty, because you're also running a whole other business. I don't think I don't believe in balance. Like I don't I don't think it's happening. Um mm-hmm. But I will say this. I really love everything I'm doing. Like I'm obsessed with like Nick sometimes is like, he's going to bed and I'm like, um, he's like, what are you doing? Nick's my fiance. And he's like, what? you're still, he's like, this is why you are doing what you're doing. Like you're amazing. He's always just like, how are you up? It's because I genuinely, I love to not only serve, but my mind is just like full of ideas. And it's almost like, I don't know if you guys have seen Hamilton, but it's like that song, like, why does it feel like you're running out of time? Mm-hmm. And I feel like I just don't have enough time to like put out in the world, all the things that are like, I feel like my ancestors literally haven't been able to do. And I haven't been, I haven't had the access or the opportunity. So I feel like now is the time. And so it makes me excited. I genuinely love to do it that I have to figure out hobbies because I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to go online and like (laughs) think about stuff we need to do for sugary or like I need to pitch or did it. And I'm like, no, find a hobby girl, Mm -hmm. find something else. But I genuinely love it. And, and, you know, um, is it sacrifice? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, but it is what it is. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. I like what I do and I like how I do it. And I feel like that is success. What about you, Ty? Yeah. I mean, I think what Tika said, I, I think that passion is an accelerator and an expander of capacity, especially if you apply that passion and you have some success in an area. And I say that because before I had my son, I well, long story short, once I had him, my fear was I, I've whatever I didn't achieve was going to be much harder to achieve now. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because though, when you have this little person and then you become like really focused on making sure that they have the best life and you start to understand that you have to have a feel really good about yourself to make them feel really good about themselves. 
then all of a sudden it becomes a priority. It's like, oh, I had no time during the day, but I get more done now that everything has to be scheduled or that there's a, that it's time sensitive. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of like what Tika said, there's nothing like working really hard and seeing something go live and then make realizing like there's so much to build on it, you know? And I still wake up in the middle of the night thinking about laugh out loud and figuring out what the, the next opportunity is there. And, you know, there's something about, I think, because for me, I had deferred a lot of dreams for one reason or another, right? And kind of limited myself in thinking, you know, you reach a certain age, you start approaching 40, you're like, oh, okay, well, and there's something about just bringing one of your dreams to life in a, in a, in a small capacity that sort of like wakes all the other ones up, you know? Mm. And so I, I do think it's contagious even within yourself. And the other part of that though is, Sugarberry is so cool because it's a haven because even though it's we know we have so much to do, we also, you know, every week on the sugar are talking about how not to measure yourself in, you know, just how productive you are. And so because self-care is so built into the DNA of every piece of content that we develop, I have a constant reminder to just like go take a bath, go take a nap, figure out a moment for yourself. And so, yeah, I think that's how we've been making it happen. Oh, and I just have to say um, that quote, like in what I do and how I do it, that's my Angela. That wasn't that, that success. That, <laughs> I was like, oh, people are going to be like, uh, that's my Angela. So sit down, Tika. And I'm like, I'm like, sitting. Let me set my sources. Yeah, that's my source. And also, you know, one thing, two things I, I found myself loving during this quarantine period that mm-hmm. I set aside for myself. I love to go on long walks by myself. And I also love to like meditation has literally expanded my mind and my capacity to be there for my family. Mm -hmm. And so those are two things that if I don't do it, I feel like "Ah, what's going on today. Like I feel not in my body. So those are two things I like to do. So what parting advice do you have for entrepreneurs who are looking to do something similar? I know you've had so many gems through the episode, but if you had to leave us with one thing, what would it be? I would say, you know, you really have to love what you are trying to execute because it is such a long haul. You know, it is such a heavy lift um, Mm -hmm. that if that doesn't make you not want to, if I'm saying it's a heavy lift and you're like, shoot, I don't know if I want to do it then, then Mm -hmm. you got to really think about it because Mm -hmm. it is, it's a heavy lift. And, 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 but the great thing is, that thing inside of you that won't leave you alone, there's something there. And I feel like greatness always comes out of something you feel like, why isn't this happening? Like what, why isn't this, um, hole filled? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And you keep thinking about that thing. Then I really believe that's like God talking to you. Um, and I've heard that story over and over and over again to happen to so many different people. And that, that, that could be it. I mean, for me, there's this um, aphorism. It's don't let perfect be the enemy of good. I think it's Mm -hmm. attributed to Voltaire, but it's the idea, particularly I think as black women, right? We feel the need to perfect so much and that it has to be so buttoned up. And so much of that is like what society has given to us, right? That we think, oh, the the bar is so much higher. You have to be twice as smart, twice as good, twice as buttoned up. But 
And for me, it's been that paralysis, right? Particularly on an entrepreneurism mm-hmm. perspective. And, and even in entrepreneurism, it's like, I got to get everything so perfectly packaged so that nothing could be wrong. And understand mm-hmm. that something's going to go wrong and do it anyway, because it's the doing through which you will perfect it. So I just want anyone who's listening, who is nurturing an idea or have been beating it up or thinking about it. And it doesn't even have to be, you know, a new business. It could be a book or a podcast or a poem or a community initiative, like just do it. Right. And mm. even if you do it wrong at first, you could always do it again. Um, but just get in motion because I think like that, that, that first, those first moments will reward you and it will fuel you. So, and don't worry about it being perfect. Mm, I love that. So to both of you, when will you know whether or not Sugarberry has succeeded? It launched. So that's a success <laughs> to me. <laughs> I was like, are we going to, are we going to like, you know, deadline or, or Hollywood reporter, somebody drop the first, you know, trade about us and telling, talking all about our business. And I'm like, if we do not launch, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to just sit in a corner and shake by myself. Um, Yeah, I feel like it's a success because we're here. You know, I feel like everything else is going to just be sugar on top and like Mm. a cherry. I really believe that. I feel like because once you okay, so say once you make that first whatever it is, say you're like, oh, the goal is like I want to make 10 million. It's like when you're when you're when you're doing that, that's going to keep piling up and everything's going to get harder and it's going to be up and down, but it's Mm -hmm. this part, right? That is like, we actually did it. We actually did the thing we said we were going to do almost two years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and for me, that is really success. Like pushing that forward. Everything else is just part of it. Part of the journey. And, and one of the things I'm realizing is first of all, this will succeed, but even if for some reason, like commercially, right, something fails, this journey has made us so much more successful as individuals. And I can't tell you how much I've, we talk about what we knew coming into this, but how much we've learned on this, like it has just infinitely prepared us for other endeavors that we don't even know of yet, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that like that learning is a success. And then the fact that we are, you know, building a company that's already proven itself of service to its audience is a success. And then I think the rest of it is just about, like she said, more commercial successes are just the, the, the sweetness, the sugar that's on top. Um, but you know, in our minds, like we're not, um, you know, complacent, but, but we're very, um, grateful for, for what's happened already. So for anyone listening who now feels like Sugarberry is that online home they've been looking for, where can they find you? How can they follow and how can we support? Yeah. Um, well, you can follow us at sugarberry.com. Mm-hmm. We can go on there. And then also on Instagram, we're at the sugarberries. That's our community. And then um, that's on Instagram. And then also on Instagram, I'm at uh, Tika Sumter. And you can find us on wherever you listen to your Apple, whatever, Stitcher, whatever platform you listen to, you just look for the sugar. S-U-G-A, like give me some sugar. Love that. Ty, what about you? Yeah, all those places. And I'm at Ty Randolph, T-H-A-I, on all social properties. So yeah. Ladies, thank you so much for your time. You gave us all the sugar berry juice and the tea. I really appreciate it. 
Oh, thank you for having us. This is amazing. You're a fantastic host. Thank you so much. Hi, Offscripters. I'm so glad you made it to the end of this episode. If you enjoy listening to our show, please pay it forward by sharing us with your network. Between episodes, you can find me on Instagram. Our handle is at She's Offscript, or you can catch up on past episodes at She's Offscript.com. See you on the next one.